Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown show. A show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. Tonight, we're talking with Mark Loveless. Mark is an appointed commissioner of a Cook County Commission of Social Innovation. He's a member of the Board of Directors of Chicago Social Enterprise Alliance, the national, which is a national association of enterprising nonprofits and social purpose businesses. He's currently a student of social enterprise at Roosevelt University and a member of a grassroots leadership team that passed the quality of life scratch-off lottery ticket. This ticket created in Illinois a new stream of funding for HIV and AIDS. This is the first of funding this type of funding stream in the country. He's the founding executive director of a coalition for justice and respect an African-American, same-gender-loving, black, lesbian, and gay social justice and civil rights organization in Chicago. He's a recipient of the Trailblazer Award from Fathers Who Care and the Hope and Spirit Award from Chicago Department of Public Health. He was originally from Detroit, but Mark has called Chicago his home for quite some time. Um, He's currently working on a book project on healthy living for black, gay, same gender loving men living in America. And he's the first openly gay elected official in the state of Illinois, having served on the local school councils of two schools in the city of Chicago, Pulaski Community Academy, and then at Sabin Magnet School. Mark, how are you this evening? I'm doing good. How are you? Well, I'm doing well. I'm so glad that we're able to to have you on because I want to talk to you about you, but then you have a very special event coming on at the end of March that I really want to talk about and get people engaged in because it's something that's really worthwhile. But like I said, um, how long, when did you leave Detroit and how long have you lived in Chicago? Well, I've lived in Chicago. Well, when I left Detroit, I moved here to Chicago, and I've been here for 25 years now. And uh, I, grew, I grew up and was raised in Detroit. And uh, although in between time, you know, as in the time when we're maturing and getting to know ourselves, I went away to college and lived in other places. But uh, I've been here the longest. Here, here. Uh, in, in Chicago, the longest other than Detroit, which I understand it's 70 degrees today, and I wish I was there. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it's changing. Uh, it's okay. changing as we speak. You know, one of the things I recall um, when I first met you, actually, I initially uh, met you over the Internet and on phone talking about the coalition for justice and respect. But then one of the things that I heard people talk about you was your long-term civic engagement, how you have been involved with everything from Operation 
uh, Rainbow Push, the Rainbow Push Coalition with Jesse Jackson and, and how you have been involved in politics. And in fact, I remember one person saying, you know, one thing about Mark, he has a deep Rolodex because if it's happened in Chicago during the time that he's here, you've been involved in, in that. How did you get so connected in your your hometown, your second hometown of Chicago? Well, actually, it started with uh, uh, Detroit. I began, I started getting involved in politics and uh, political stuff and when I was uh, 15 in Detroit and worked, you know, I had just always been asked, you know, like people like would say, what do you want to do when you grow up? What do you want to do when you grow up? And uh, I remember I was out of the clear west that I wanted to be a senator. And then I had to figure out that if uh, someone finally asked, well, what kind of senator? And I didn't know there were different kinds. So I had to figure out from that. And but um, and then that those were the sorts of things I began to get involved in, not just because I wanted to be a senator, but because I wanted to or get into politics at, at all. It was just I wanted to um, – I felt it. I felt it was something that you had to do, you know, or that that was a part of of what you did. I didn't, you know, and, that, and it was just innate in me. And I did, it wasn't until after I got older, I really had the um, I had the um, knowledge of knowing that this is something that sort of have been in my family for a while. I I wasn't you know, trying to, to emulate anything, anybody, but uh, my uh, dad was one in the, in the late 50s and early 60s. He was one of the uh, first members of AFSCME uh, in, in Detroit, and uh, he, he explained to me how he got involved in it. Uh, he got involved with AFSCME because he, as an electrical engineer, someone with a, a skill, uh, could not get a job except for working for the city of Detroit. And he didn't want anyone else to experience the difficulties he did, and it was based solely on race, that, that they didn't hire black men in that position with because of the salary level and and all of that all that stuff and my mom who in her own right uh organized and worked with Michigan cosmetologists and was one of the uh one of the drivers in that and all my uncles when I say uncles I mean my great uncles were involved with organizing uh or being a part active members in the UAW because they worked in the and, and the car manufacturing company, and um, it's just like the, these sorts of things. It was just like always a part of you. You had to do something, even if you weren't doing this full time. It just so happened I've been, had the opportunity to really live a life that I've been able to to live this thing out. I, when I, I'm sure people in Detroit, some people in Detroit may remember Marie Farrell Donaldson. Oh yeah, and it, she. Um, I worked for Marie. I was the first when she was appointed ombudsman. I was uh, the first appointment she made as an assistant ombudsman, and then I was uh, 
eventually elevated to being assistant to the ombudsman uh, in Detroit. And that was an amazing, amazing job, to, uh, opportunity to work with her uh, in some real trying times. Um, as you know, uh, uh, Ms. Donaldson and the mayor uh, were not necessarily running buddies. I, I I would love to see them both now. I'm sure they're 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 fine now together. <laughs> but mm-hmm, they they mm-hmm. they uh, had uh, um, a couple of challenges uh, in their relationship, professional relationship, and I learned so much from her and from him. I she is my mentor. You know, I, not many men will say this, but that woman is my mentor because. She told she gave me so much about how to be effective in public service, how to be how to strive for efficiency, you know how we can be accountable, be held accountable, and hold other people accountable and Those were lessons that I learned, and I would not be able to be uh in any way uh confident in what I do in Chicago, if not for that experience that I had uh, uh, learning, you know, more or less, you know, at the knee of, of, of Marie Farrell Donaldson in the city of, of Detroit. And when I came to Detroit, I uh, came from Chicago, it was uh, a different situation because uh, I came here as uh, most people think, like you say, they think I came here from some political whatever. But actually, I came here doing uh, grassroots community work. I was uh, appointed uh, and given an opportunity to serve as the first uh, gay and lesbian liaison for the Cook County State's Attorney's Office, and the first and one of few actually uh, LGBT hate crime victim witness coordinators in the country. And it's and uh, what started is that there was a state's attorney here, who the gay community was pursuing about why was he not, uh, why the office was not more amenable to prosecuting anti-gay crimes and that sort of thing. And um, then they 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 pursued that one state's attorney to the point that he established, he committed, he started a task force, and then he came up with this position, which was a hate crime specialist and LGBT liaison. And uh, at the time, I was traveling the country talking about anti-gay violence uh, with NGLTF and the, uh, then the Human Rights Campaign Fund before before they lost lost the F and uh, mm-hmm. and was on the boards of the of of uh, National Coalition of Black Lesbians and Gays, which actually at the time was based in Detroit, and um, so I. Um, I was doing that work, and it was the mainstream LGBTQ community. Well, we didn't have all them letters at the time. We only had lesbian and gay. I'm going to be really honest with you. That's all we were. We were lesbians and gays at the time. But uh, that community, the mainstream community, actually came to me and said, we have this position. This position is up. The state's attorney has agreed to do it. Um, Would you... Would you apply for it? We would like. We would. The community would support you in serving in this position. I then, you know, I, I actually, you know, 
thought it took me a minute to think about whether I was going to do that or not because I didn't want to like seem like I'm parachuting in save somebody people usually can save themselves uh, with a little help you know but uh, after some conversations with uh, people here particularly you know for me um, my identity is important so I had to have deep conversations with black LGBT folks uh, gays and lesbians here in uh, in Chicago I said because I understand where the mainstream gay and lesbian community is, I need to know where you will be when and if this happens. If I go for this, if I go for this position, and receive some very encouraging comments, so I did. I, I submitted my name to, uh, and I was chosen. Now, see, the, this community was very interesting because after I submitted my name, all the other candidates that that had that they had also submitted withdrew their names so it made it a little easy <laughs> mm-hmm. they, they cleared the path a little bit for me and then uh and also in the process of this whole thing of me going back and forth whether i'll do it and all that stuff the state's attorneys changed so it went from the democratic state's attorney to a republican state's attorney so then um which was challenging because it was like, is he going to continue it? He said definitely he would continue it. So he continued the uh, position, uh, had the position filled. So for the first three years I was in Chicago, I was working for Republican administration. (laughs) Well, you know, Mark, I think that's one of the things that's interesting about you too is because although you are deeply – uh, self-aware. You're very authentic and open and a part of the uh, African-American LGBTQ community there in Chicago. I mean, you have been involved in so many things. I mean, um, you've been on diversity and inclusion. Like you said, you work for a Republican. Um, you, you've been in Operation Push. When you sit yeah. back now, I mean, and you've been there, I would say that you know Chicago. When you hear number 45, our current president, and some of the things like he talks, like he often talks about Chicago like it's like a vast wasteland. What mm-hmm. is the Chicago that you see? And with all of these diverse people and communities and you travel through all of them even to the point where now i mean you're back in school so i mean i mean you're you're not only uh intersectional you're intergenerational what's the chicago that you see you know uh i i this is so interesting because my my niece who lives in florida who's very involved who has a social consciousness too and she was like uh how do you live in Chicago with everything? I, and I, well, first of all, I, I, I think we have to, I just know that uh, that man and the White House there has no idea about what he's talking about, period. That's number one. <laughs> Inclusive in that is his perception of Chicago. And, and he's going to have a grudge about Chicago, because Chicago dealt him an unforgettable blow. Uh, when he was running, uh, he was going to come here and do a big rally in this, in, uh, in, at a university here. And the community 
erupted to the point that the uh, police department and public safety people said, look, uh, don't even stop. Just keep going. (laughs) And so we shut the community, the grassroots folks, as well as institutional folks, of you know, from the streets to the suites, shut him down. So we will always be evil. So when he says things, I understand some of it comes out of his uh, pettiness and his and his uh, frustration, because he's yet to come back into this into the city. He's been to the suburbs, but he's not come back into the city. The city that I see is diverse. I think we're struggling with a lot of things. Uh, in regards to there's challenges of of uh, people's capacity. I think that uh, that there's hard looks at everything. You know, uh, Saul Alinsky, who wrote the book Rules for Radicals, said the hardest place in the world to organize that he had found was in Chicago. And and I can see what some of those elements are. So I mean, it, it, it's it's like any place. Like I'll tell you something. I love Detroit. Detroit is is uh, whatever people may say about Detroit. I know a Detroit that is uh, vibrant, that is challenging. I remember, you know, uh, I've not you know been back there, but that's the same thing that that's in. In, in Chicago, is that there's there's vibrant, challenging opportunities. There are problems that we have to deal with, uh, but the thing is, we're willing to look at them, you know, eyes open, you know, full, you know, face forward, eye to eye, to really address them. You can call people out here. Uh, which is what's going on. Elected officials are being called out, public officials, you know, because things are not, things are not, everything's not going the way that it ought to go. And some people are are finding themselves, are finding that they get, they're getting hurt by it. And how do we help people that are, that are, uh, you know, being hurt or compromised or not being appreciated and all those things. So, you know, from from one end of town to the other, I literally, are for uh, 20 years, lived up north. Uh, 20 of the 25 years I lived on the north side of Chicago in an area called Edgewater. And that and Edgewater is a diverse community that's predominantly white, uh, but it's very diverse culturally. I mean, you will see, you will see in, these, in Edgewater, as you walk down the tree-lined streets of uh, where there's predominantly white folks living, uh, signs that say Black Lives Matter mm. uh, and in their lawn. And and not and sincere efforts and consciousness like that. The past five years, I've lived in on the south side and this area called Bronzeville, which is a diverse cultural area, which which is really very very. It's a changing. It's called they identify as a changing community because it's changing from. Um, being just predominantly black to being a more diverse community, and uh, this this is an amazing experience. 
and working with with uh, Reverend Jackson and Rainbow Push, uh, it, it, it's given me the um, the experience to really pursue a mission and make the mission the purpose. See, when I work for the ombudsman's office and and uh, Detroit, I had the power of subpoena. I had the power of of the city charter. That uh, and I had the I had the based on that I had the authority to to come in to a department and to stop them if they are if they were impeding uh, an ombudsman investigation we could stop them and those people would have to go home I mean mm-hmm. and and they would go home right away and and if they did not then we would we had the authority to call the police to remove employees or anyone that impeded an investigation of the ombudsman. Now, working for Reverend Jackson, we ain't got no law, we ain't got no guns, we ain't, got, we have, we ain't, we have none of those things. So, the, so then we have to rely and use something else, which is to pursue the consciousness of people, to mm-hmm. be the assistance of goodwill to question, to call into question, uh, and to challenge um, things that are unstabilizing and disruptive and that disrespect the humanity of the circumstance. And um, that's, that's it's a different sort of thing, but uh, it, it's, it, it causes, causes you to be creative in how you present stuff and also conscious you know that the people who you're going up against these are these are human beings too they're people mm-hmm. just like us they have they have ability and authority and responsibility but the fact that we are confronting them we can you know it, there is a problem if we diminish the humanity of the people that we're talking about you know even though i don't agree with what Mr. Trump is doing, what the President of the United States is doing, I don't believe he's well advised, and I don't, I don't, and I think the people around him fail him every day. Yet still, I understand that they are people. I'm not willing to compromise on the fact that they are human beings, uh, um, and I'm not willing to disrespect them uh, uh, because they are people. And, and they're making a lot of mistakes. I know they are. I, I can see it. And and eventually, you know, who knows? They may reach a point of of uh, realization themselves. And when yeah. they and, uh, when they do that, I think that if we keep in mind the this um, the capacity and the failings of all of us as human beings, we could maybe. Uh, we can maybe see when those changes happen and the possibility of those changes happening become more uh, uh, possible. Okay, well, well, Mark, we're going to take a short break in our conversation, and then we'll be right back. So you're listening to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, 
bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. We're back with more conversation with tonight's guest, Mark Loveless, here on Connect Collections by Michelle Brown. You know, Mark, I had, you know, I, everyone has heard of, you know, Rainbow Push and Jesse Jackson, but it was around a Bolder Than Out conference that I was there and I was supposed to meet you at Rainbow Push. And when I went in there, the history of it. I mean, it was almost like overwhelming. It was like, wow, here, here, this right here, this is where, where it's, you know, this is what, you know, our history, you know, you saw pictures, you saw things, and there was a community, I forget what kind of event they were having, but there were all these people from all walks of life who were there, who were talking about their community, and also like what you were talking about, how do we rebuild, how do we come together, how do we remember one another's humanity? Mm-hmm. What, from all of these experiences, first of all, can you tell us what is uh, CJR, and okay. how does that come about? Okay. Well, um, so I had worked for uh, Reverend Jackson for I still volunteer and work there and working with other projects with him for uh, years. And um, from after I had left the state's attorney's office to working for, um, you know, like you mentioned, the diversity committee, if anyone had told me at age, you know, 17 or 20 or 30 that I would eventually be working for the largest brokerage firm in the world, I said, that, that, that ain't me, that never worked. But uh, um, even even at, while I was doing that, I was also involved with um, with Rainbow Push still and other community group, other black LGBT groups. Like we formed a group called the Committee, which was a political, which was uh, I, uh, the only political action committee of black LGBT folks in in Illinois that I that uh, we know of. I mean, and we we did politics. We raised money for candidates. We uh, endorsed candidates. We took candidates from campaign trails to the gay to the uh, black gay bars, introduced them to their constituencies. Uh, we we supplied volunteers and staff for we did we it was a political action committee. It was and that's in electoral politics and we did that. Uh, and then so that was something that was going on as I was involved with still involved with Rainbow Push. I'll tell you when I when I got the job to come here and work in the state attorney's office, my first weekend, I knew where I, w- I went to the Rainbow Push Coalition. Now, I had had a little introduction beforehand because of uh, a, a little bit of uh, diversion, but still an interesting connection. In, uh, if you, when, you, in, when you're in Detroit, and you know where the Stroh River Place is? Yeah. Okay. All of that, uh, the Stroh River Place, and, you know, it's had some challenges, I know, since, since I was there, but that, the financing of that came about because 
of a plan that we pushed, and I was the staff person that had to push this through the Michigan legislature that would allow uh, pension funds to be uh, investors. And if you rem- you may think back when Reverend Jackson ran for president, he talked about ur- using city employees' pension funds to spur urban development. People say what happened to ur- what happened to Detroit. What happened to Detroit is that uh, corporate America turned their back on Detroit, and they would not invest in Detroit and, and no other urban cities. So we had to. So Reverend Jackson had this idea. I was working in the legislature and got the Democratic Party leadership there to support us allowing, because there was a law at the time that prevented the pension funds from being a secondary fiduciary for investment and development. And we were able to get that law changed. The governor signed it. It was Blanchard at the time. He signed it. It became law. And it, and then that uh, uh, allowed the financing, the initial financing for the development of Stroh River Place, and and uh, other developments. Because there's a tower, uh, some big old tower next next to Stroh River Place. I forget what they call that one, but that was a that we were able to leverage and get those things that investment done because the other outside investors like from Sweden and those places because American banks would not invest in in the cities, uh, we were able to get them to go along with it because we had these pension funds. So that's sort of how I had a little re- arrangement before I went to, uh, I came to Chicago and went to PUSH. But I had worked for PUSH for, and worked with Reverend Jackson all this time, and I was transitioning out of working for PUSH full-time and just sort of trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And uh, this was in 2006. Uh, I was actually, uh, you know, just, you know, hate doing my own thing, again, leaving PUSH. And uh, I got a call from, because while I was at PUSH, I was also not only, uh, one of the areas I worked in was around HIV prevention, education, and treatment, and advocacy. So a lot of the community, a lot of the people here knew me from that. Well, there came a time where the city of Chicago Department of Public Health had had uh, come up with their prevention spending plan, which had eliminated all of the black and Latino uh, service providers. Just They were just all gone. And uh, they said they they did they they didn't have the money. So I said, well let 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 let's talk to them. Let's have a conversation with them. So when they called me about it, we set up a conversation with the city council department, with the department of public health, and and, and it was an intensive conversation. And it was like, well, you know, it seems as it what and and like uh, when we first sat down with the director of public health, who was an African-American doctor. He came in and he plopped the papers down and said, they all applied and they just didn't make the qualifications. And it was a fair process and blah, 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 blah. And I said, listen, uh, I'm not critiquing 
your process. My concern is the outcome. The mm-hmm. outcome is this. So regardless of I'm sure your intent is pure, but your results are this. And then this pattern that we looked at that came up of black organizations doing HIV prevention, uh, getting funding one year and then no longer being funded, being treated like the redheaded stepchild. So we had this, uh, and, and the mainstream white organizations, they always made the funding cut. They never had a time when they got treated like the red-headed stepchild. They were not no offense to red-headed stepchildren. But they, they so we were like, what how come that's happening? And we were able to through dialogue get the city and the um and the depart and, and the uh public health department to find the extra million dollars to make sure that now that we don't have this loss of just being under, you know, so that we can get some stability as well. And so uh, in that process, I was, it was uh, 2006, uh, December 30th. I remember it well. I, I uh, was at the movies and I got this phone call. Uh, have you heard what happened yesterday? No, it was the 31st. Uh, have you heard what happened yesterday? And I said, uh, no. They said, well, there was a uh, a party of a gay house, a gay family, and uh, they and uh, some guys came and they shot in the house, mm. and they were using uh, anti-gay epithets, and then. The news reports interviewed people in the neighborhood, and it was in a more it was in a traditional black neighborhood, and they said, uh, "Well, we tried to tell them that this wasn't a place for that." The people who were on who were interviewed in the community, so that sort of sparked some concern. So when it's so not thought, a place for that for for gay people to be for gay people not right. only living but to be having a party, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, not only not having a party, but you you you're not supposed to be there. Mm. Yeah, I mean, gay don't gay doesn't live in the black community is what the pressure was, <laughs> and then to add, to add on top of that, the city issued a statement saying we would not consider that a hate crime. We just consider that crime in the hood. Okay, mm. see, that did not sit well with people. So we had a meeting, and quite frankly, I was working on a campaign at the time for a candidate who was running for for mayor. And uh, I asked the can- the, can- the campaign, I need a meeting space. Can I meet in our campaign office? We met, and we talked about it, and we said, well, let's have a community meeting, and let let you know, let's have a broader. You know, we we had a, we put our. See, I learned the organizing skills towards direct action from push. So I was using, and, and it's in Reverend, it's in Dr. King's letter from the Birmingham Jail. So we were going through all those steps. And so the next step was having the mass meeting, having a uh, what, what we called a community forum. We had the community. We set the date. Uh, a black lesbian uh, couple who owned a cafe said that we could meet there. So we had sectioned off a little area there, and people in the community knew that we were meeting, and it was publicized that we were meeting. 
by the time the meeting took place, we figured maybe 20 or 30 people would be there. By the time the meeting took place and we started the meeting, the room, the building was full. People were standing outside. The alderman we had asked to come was not coming, showed up. The commander of the police department, uh, it, it was a, we had a funny exchange there with her, but the um, the commander of the police, the police had sent representatives, but they were not going to send the commander. After they saw the crowd, the aldermen called and said, Sit, get, I don't care. They, they had said that the commander had worked all night, so he was going to take the day off. That's why he couldn't make it. Uh, before the meeting was over, the commander found uh, a way from his weary sleep to come. He got a and second said, wind, huh? <laughs> Uh, yes, he found out that he has something else to do. And, and I, I can't, there's one funny, st- you know, all along. The, if you can, if you don't find the uh, uh, humor in some of this stuff, you'll go nuts. So we were talking about with the alderman and the commander and all, that what we really need and what and what caused that is because there are no places for socializing for and we can, and they were referring to the kids. And they says, you know, and, and like uh, people, you know, the kids need a place to uh, to meet and congregate, and and we just don't have no place for the kids to meet. And so they kept talking, referring to the children and kids. And the alternate says, you know, uh, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not certain if I support children being out at eleven, twelve, and one o'clock. You know, at night, and I said, "Wait, wait, 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 wait!" And everybody, like all, first the room started to roar, and I had to jump. Says, "Wait, hold on, just a minute." But they say kids and children; they're referring to adults, eighteen uh-huh. to like. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was. It was so. She says, "I'm going to be honest with you." I don't see why children should be up at those hours. Wait, hold on. <laughs> We're just, I mean, I mean, that's part of this issue about being human. She's, she's, she didn't mean any of <laughs> Well, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a cultural thing. We have, LGBT people have a culture. Anybody who was gay understood what was being said. But there's right. also that culture. And when you don't interact with each other, you don't know the culture. You got this. You got this straight black woman who is mm-hmm. trying to do, and who I know, and, and I knew she, that she was uh, good-hearted. But that was the start. That and so, we, so after that, we had s- several things change. The city changed their position. That they, they ended up doing a wanted poster or whatever informate reward for information. And I mean, uh, I mean, the, the whole because we, we, what was what ticked people off more than those kids to the people they interviewed. And the funny thing is, the people they interviewed that said, we told them, yeah, they told, you know why they told them? Because they had been up in there trying to get busy, and they could. <laughs> so that was their path of telling. But at any rate, the, um, as, it, as, it, as we went from that meeting, we decided that we needed to say that this was a place for everybody in this community. So uh, on the following, uh, the, the very next MLK Day, we staged the first uh, 
LGBT march in a traditional black community in this city. And we marched up 79th Street uh, in mass with signs and posters and and, before, and so we said, now how do we want to, you know, what how do we want to identify ourselves? How do we want to call ourselves? And uh, we came up with coalition for justice and respect. And we had every single black LGBT organization in the city came. And uh, civil rights organizations came, and, and elected officials came, and we blocked 79th Street, and the and in the dead of cold, and it was cold, and uh, we did this like three or four years in a row. And in addition to that, we said look, we wanted to commemorate the work of Dr. King and what we do. So that's how uh, we we would have around the 4th of April, a social justice event, an event around social justice in the black LGBT community. And so, so, and so we would take one subject and one topic. Then about, oh, five years ago, we changed that because there were so many things that were happening. There was PrEP, there was marriage equality, there were uh, transgendered issues. All these things were emerging. So we said, you know, what to because we had been previously focusing on one issue, having having one day conference and focusing on one topic, and that and, and having a panel and, and saying that we've at least done that. But uh, at this point, we realized there were so many things that were going on that uh, one topic concentration was not going to do it. So then we came up with this concept of a conference a social justice black LGBT identity conference. And it actually, I had marshaled it similar to, I don't know if you still have it in Detroit, but we used to have, um, we started a James Baldwin Pet Parker Society uh, several years ago before I left there, and they had a inter a uh, inter well cross gender uh, conference. I and it started off. I remember the first one we did. We just said the brothers and the sisters are going to get it together. Call you know black gay men and black lesbians. We held our uh, a conference of and we held it for the two years before I left. And it was uh, well, Co- you know Kofi. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. She was a part of it. She can tell you more than I can, because uh, we because well, we held it at uh, Wayne State University. Mm-hmm. So, so I took you, that. How, my, huh? Mm-hmm. How did you come up with bold? The name bolder than out. I mean, how did how did well, what is that's, that, the significance of that? Well, that well, when we when I when I replicated what was in Detroit here in Chicago, it was like we need a term. What do we want to and, and do? And it was like. You know, being out, you know, just to say we're out, I mean, for, it, you know, that's a term, you know, being out in the, LGBT, in the LGBT community in general, it means something. But what we're saying is more than just, we're not just gay and lesbian, bisexual, and transgendered or questioning. We're more than just out. We're, it, is bolder, it is bolder for us to, as black people as people of color it is bolder for us to be out 
We're more than out. We're bolder than out. And that's how the concept was born. Now, you know, when you, because I remember like that first year when you had gone from like, you always had something, but then you were trying to, to put this conference together. Like you said, there were so many issues. I mean, you probably could have gone on for a week, you know, and, uh-huh. I mean, to, to cover all of them. But I, there were some things that you still heard, um, you know, and I think that one of the things that I thought that was really unique about Bolder Than Out and that you continue to do is you bring some of our brothers and sisters from Africa to talk exactly. about what's going on there. Because often, although we are all from that same diaspora, we certain, sometimes forget that what's happening to them. What made you, you decide know, that, that, to do that consistently each year? And, and this year, uh, we're going to begin with the uh, report from the diaspora. It will, I'm so excited. For the first time, it's going to be a uh, black African, a uh, black lesbian from Uganda. And, uh, no, Ghana. No, wait a minute. Anyway, no, Nigeria, that's where she's from. She's from Nigeria, and she's going to start off that Saturday morning uh, with talking about the experience of uh, and, the, and the circumstances uh, there. And, and that, i got to tell you, is just it just came about as organic as anything. Because I, as, as we were putting out the information, I got a uh, message one message from Facebook uh, that, uh, that said, uh, we're in Ghana, uh, we would like to come to your, can we come to your conference? And I said, of course. And then uh, they began telling other people on the Internet. So then we got people from Uganda, from uh, even London, and uh, who were either refugees and uh, Nigeria and South Africans and all the, and, you know, it, it just, you know, it's funny. It was a local thing from the start. When they heard about it, they said, we want to, you know, we want to connect with that. And that's, and that's what, you know, and we've done it every year, every year since. So, and, and they more and more come. Uh, I end up sending a lot of letters to our State Department. I don't know what we're going to do this year. I'm sort of, I'll be yeah, very honest. I'm, I'm a little nervous. <laughs> I'm a little nervous dealing with these here people. But, uh, yeah, I have to send letters that say what the conference is, inviting them to come and making sure that they're invited. Because they have to be invited. They can't just decide to come. They have so usually I get several requests and I've been processing them as well. So like while I'm also getting pinning things down locally here and making that happen, I'm also having to deal with the you know the people who give out visas and all those folks too and contact and, and they have and they now know that it's legitimate and that it's actually, you know, something that, that happens. So it's a, it, well, like I said, this is going to be the first year with this administration, so Lord knows what they're going to do but, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. when they see us. Because uh, I've learned a lot about international stuff as well, because the visas are granted 
by this they have to they go to the embassy they go to the US embassy in those countries that they're from and some of them they're they're from towns that are not necessarily close to where the embassy is so that's a journey in and of itself so they get to the embassy and then they have to uh so they you know wait and be concerned and they have to be interviewed by the uh customs people by you know the customs and immigration people and then they decide if they're going to give them a visa or not so yeah. and then they get a visa to come and there you go well i guess you like you said especially this year you're learning as you go because you know with this ban we don't although it's been i don't held, know what's going to happen you don't know what's <laughs> going to happen now i know that another thing that that you you try to what has been one of the biggest challenges for um, Bolder Than Out? I know that you and I have often been talked and that it seems to be more heavier leaning towards gay men than yep. lesbians. Yep. Why do you feel, what, what is, what's that about? What, what do you feel and what, what would you say to lesbians black lesbians who are following this show and hear us talk about this. And um, besides that, you are welcome. What would you, you say to address that? Well, uh, one thing is I would say that uh, let them know that you are going to be on the program for Saturday, number one. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, the issues and concerns there, I, I think that uh, I would say this, that uh, as a result of Boulder Than Out, we've been able to make some inroads in regards to several issues of, of uh, social justice. Because out of Boulder Than Out, we were able to uh, have an insistence of inclusion in the marriage equality movement that is that particularly not only in this state but in the states where our where our participants come from there's a there's a greater visibility so there's there's a, a effective and efficiency piece there uh, I think that uh, that the issues of women and one of the things that I don't think our community focuses enough on and that it's and uh that uh, is that is health issues around women. Okay, so we get the HIV piece. We got that. Uh, now, because of just inevitable things, we're moving into more chronic illnesses as a health care priority. But even more than that, we need to understand there are some unique issues around black women and health. And even there, there are some things that are uh, highlighted amongst black lesbians, such as breast cancer. And, uh, and, and this is something I, I, it's a frustration to me. I've not, you know, I've known, well, I knew Audre Lorde, and I, and, uh, I know the battles that she uh, uh, went through and overcoming breast cancer and then, having it come back and then overcoming it again. And, and, and it's just that I just think it's, I just think that within, I mean, you know, uh, 
with equal respect and consideration of the issues around uh, of uh, bisexual bisexuals in our community that we embrace that are a part of our community and and we embrace those issues as we embrace the issues of transgender women that we have got to make certain that we are not that we are addressing also those issues around cisgendered women and those issues around lesbians and and when addressing those issues we get into other things such as family issues because uh and then how do and one of the topics that we're going to be talking about uh this this year is what is lgbt families what does that look like because Mm -hmm. and and lgbt families as if we don't if we don't Focus in and highlight the uh, the consideration of lesbians who have children. We got to understand that when we talk about I I can I don't know as much about I can tell you about black lesbians people in my community. I see the issue around child care, rearing children, and an educational experience that is beneficial to the to the. Uh, young people as well as not offensive to their families. That's a critical issue. We need to know how to talk to school boards. We need to know how to talk to school councils around those issues. And we're going to talk about that and bring that up and and, and, and have and those are some of the conversations that may that some people may not see or consider as uh as comfortable we do we do warm and fuzzy because we're going to go to a play on saturday night and we're going to we're going to have our our uh uh cultural dinner at the african restaurant again uh on saturday but uh we've got to we've got to get our arms and our energies around these issues the issue i mean because because it because if we can address the issues around families that is uniquely a part of the black lesbian experience then we can address family issues and the and the uh and the black uh gay male the same gender loving experience you know if, if we can address the issue of pay equity amongst women and black women black lesbian women we can address pay equity of young black males and young, young black MSM uh, males and others. We've got mm-hmm. to, I would say, come help us raise this voice. Help us raise this issue. We, can, we will come out of it different. We will come out of it better of getting more uh, lesbians involved having more lesbians to want to participate and 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 i will say you got to be a certain kind of lesbian a black lesbian to come to participate and to and to as uh bernice johnson reagan would say wade into this water and 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 maybe it's not for everybody but if you're of the mindset of of a uh of a michelle or uh, Ojeda, or uh, the other women that have come and participated in, in, in what we do. If you're of that mindset of of, uh, of determination, confidence, of sensitivity, of sensual awareness, knowing that you can't really enjoy your 
sensuality if the quality of your life is all tripped out. And and that's where you need to come here. You need to come here so we can at least look at each other eye to eye, as Audre Lorde said. You know, the, when Audre Lorde, uh, that's another, she's another one of the people that I, that I, can uh, attribute to helping the development of me is when she talks about eye to eye, woo, mm-hmm. the power well, you know, of being able to look mm-hmm. eye to eye. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things you, that, that I would walk say, down the street. <laughs> Go ahead. Of, of having attended some, you know, the different ones is that I have made friends. I mean, I have met. Yes. Guys who came from all walks of life, and some who are from Chicago, some who I, who I have stayed in touch with, who I've been able to dialogue with, and I think that we've grown together. And I think that that, like you said, to have this setting where you can sort of come in there and have that time to have these around issues, but also uh-huh. conversation and sharing minds. I think that, that that's one of the beauties of Bolder Than Out that I would encourage, you know, my sisters to come and sit down and talk with, with some of these, these brothers who you'd be surprised at, at some point at how much they are aware of, but also how much they want to be a part of. And yeah. I think that sometimes we make our own barriers to, to within our community. But we're yeah. going to take our, our last break, and then I want to come back and talk, get a little more information about Boulder Than That. Out. So okay. we'll be right back in a few short moments. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. on Blog Talk Radio. Be sure and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. Join the collection at www.collectionsbymichellebrown.com. Mark, what are the we're back, and I wanted to ask you what are the dates for okay. this year's Bolder Than Out? Okay, the, the dates this year are March the 31st through April the 2nd, and we begin with a uh, this year on Friday we're beginning with a uh, a different kind a different concept. Which is a the first, in Chicago, it's the first Black LGBTQ Wellness and Employment Expo, uh, and, and Empowerment Expo. And uh, what we're doing is uh, we're have well, we're acknowledging some of our leaders. You know, this is you know, believe it or not, uh, we have matured. We have uh, matured to the point where we got. Black LGBT folks that have worked so long that they're retiring. <laughs> mm. So at the first part of the day, we're going to be acknowledging uh, one of our uh, sheroes, uh, Dr. Margot Bell, and she's just and she has been working with Black LGBT youth and the ball community for years, uh, and so she's she's going to be recognized. And then we're going to talk about uh, PrEP 
and why that's important to us. I mean, uh, the CJR uh, is a part of a demonstration, demonstration project that's funded by the CDC and Chicago Department of Public Health to do an outreach on awareness around PrEP and the black community amongst uh, black MSMs and uh, uh, transgendered and cisgendered uh, African-American women uh, around PrEP. And the and the reason is because they realize that after you know three to five years of this actually being on the market, 78% of the people who are on prep right now are white men. The, mm-hmm. Where we need where the where we are still uh, the first three months of this of this year, uh, we buried at least three African American. Uh, MSMs under 30 uh, uh, from complications of AIDS, full-blown 80-style AIDS. Mm. So uh, uh, this is something that we're experiencing and that that we have to really uh, get the word out that this is available. So And also address the barriers that make people not want to or apprehensive about about it, so we're we're going to have that. Then we're going to go into getting ready for employment because we have here a a a uh, economic and employment disparity amongst young uh, black uh, MSMs and uh, LGBT. The whole the young LGBTQ community in Chicago is. Uh, suffering from a huge uh, employment and economic disparity. So we're going to talk about some skills around getting a job, what you do when you get a job, keeping uh, a job. If you don't, you don't have to get, have a job, but how do you uh, secure your income and uh, what does it mean to do, in, you know, are you being paid equally? How do you, ex- how do you say as a black uh, LGBTQ person, how do you insist upon equality and, and, and uh, pay parity even amongst in our community? You know, like when we're working for these agencies and stuff like that, uh, uh, pay uh, equity is, is critical to the quality of life. we got to talk about how we address that. And then we go into that evening uh, and, and then we have a lunch where we're acknowledging the fact that Chicago, we have one uh, uh, LGBT liaison in the Department of Public Health. And for the first time, this position is being held by an African-American man. And we're going to acknowledge him. And then we go into a ball. We're having a mini Ball executive. Well, well, after well, after all of that talking and stuff, we we will actually have employers here uh, who will be uh, looking to hire people. So we'll be having mm. job interviews and things like that going on, and we're screening also. And then we go to the ball. It's an executive realness ball, a mini ball. Yes, yeah, CCR is going to sponsor the ball for the first time ever, and then. Uh, so that will go on uh, for the night, and then we go from there to uh, 
to the next day, which is where we begin, as you know, as I mentioned, with a report from the African diaspora, and then uh, we'll have workshops and uh, which one that you're leading, and then. Uh, we're having a, another workshop on decriminalization of HIV, uh, mm-hmm. why it's important to do that, and what the criminal. I mean, we, you know, this is what I, this goes back to sort of what I said about the, the humanness of us all. When we allowed and encouraged the criminalization of HIV, we were trying to do the best we could. We thought this was a way to combat it. Clearly, it is not. Uh, it is a, uh, we we have learned better, and uh, you know no one's offended. But the Bible says, when I was a child, I thought like a child, but now that I'm a man or an adult, you know I I think different things. So we were we were we were doing the best we could 35 years ago when we set these when we set these. Uh, laws into place, we would only, knowing what we know now, we would only be foolish to not, at this point, talk about strategies on how we, on how we reverse this. Um, and uh, then, as I said, uh, Saturday night we'll have the, the, the dinner, the African dinner, and mm-hmm. then we uh, go, and, and it was, and this having this be having a Saturday night dinner be an African dinner sort of came about from our participants from Africa who came here, found communities of their uh, of uh, you know you know of other Africans that have immigrated here, and they first cooked dinner for us, and so we've kept that as a tradition, and then we'll go from there to see we're going to see this uh, play. Um, that's called Booty Candy, which is from a book that about experience of growing up black and gay here in America. So we'll do that. And uh, then Sunday we'll have a concluding roundtable and a bon voyage. Uh, uh, what do they call that? They're going to do, they're taking, uh, they said they're taking uh, remote mimosas. A mimosa, mm. a mimosa, mimosa, yeah, champagne and orange juice a farewell mm-hmm. lunch. Oh, okay. So, how so, do people find out, or do they need do they need to register? How do they do that? It would be good to register so that we can sort of get an idea of how many people to plan for. Now, the conference, because, you know, we're, we've been fortunate in that uh, we've been able to have underwriters and stuff, so there's no real conference fee, but there are things that you might want to do. Like we like uh, we have, oh, I yes, uh, and I will, we do, we now do have uh, uh Hotel rooms that will be available at 1:35 at night, but that goes strictly to the hotel. It's at the Hyatt at McCormick Place. They just sent me the letter confirming, the email confirming that uh, Thursday. I haven't got that up on the website yet, but they can go to our website. They can go to Facebook, look for Bolder Than Out. They can go to Eventbrite and look for Bolder Than Out and Boulder Notch in Chicago and you can like I said, you can it's good to register, you know, just so that we uh, you know, are you know, are aware of how much 
uh, how, who we need to accommodate for, you know, numbers of mm-hmm. people as far as food and those sorts of things. We don't want people to, uh, you know, feel that they were, even though there's no registration fee, we don't want people to mm-hmm. feel that they were, you know, not not treated well while they were here. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think hopefully the weather will be nice and, and, and a nice spring weekend <laughs> for that. Um, well, Mark, um, I know that uh, CJR does have a website, which is www.cjrchicago.org, where you can uh-huh. learn more about the coalition. And um, there's a page to get involved where you can put in and you can get information from that. Mark, I want to thank you for being with us tonight for the month of March. Uh, each night we are doing our part to remind people about Boulder Than Out and encouraging them to, to sign up and come. And I look forward to seeing you at the end of March for Boulder Same Than here. Out. All right, then. Okay. okay Thanks a lot for well, the opportunity. Um, well, thank you. And like I said, uh, my best to ever, of uh, my Boulder Than Out family there until I see you. So, All right. Okay. Well, thank you, Mark. Well, that's it for tonight, folks. Again, that is the Bolder Than Out Conference in Chicago. I mean, the conference in and of itself is is worth going, but you know, anyone who knows, Chicago is a beautiful city. You'll meet beautiful people and get to learn something, you know, all in the one package. Again, that's Bolder Than Out, March 31st to April 2nd. You can find out more about it at cjrchicago.org. And there is, I mean, you heard him say, you know, you don't have to pay a fee, but they would like for you to register because, heaven forbid, you show up and there's no chair for you. But you know what? We'll all scooch over and make sure there's room for you. Uh, Until next week, this is Michelle Brown. I want to thank you for listening to Collections by Michelle Brown. We will be back bringing you another introduction to someone who is living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. That's each Thursday at 7 p.m. right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Good night. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.